Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas out there. My name is Greg Colossal, and you're listening to the new world. It's Christmas Eve day, and uh, it's a little time for reflection. I woke up alone, thinking about the next couple days. First thing I thought was, boy, I want to talk to some people. Yesterday I made a vow not to make a Christmas podcast. Woke up today and was contacted by a sad friend. Her heart's broken today. And I thought, why not talk to the people? If you got a broken heart, folks, you should call me. I'll help you. Once again, we're talking, this is a Christmas Eve day, 2020, deep in the quarantine. And you're listening to Greg Colossal on the new world. definitely not the same thing as optimism. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. That's how I wanted to start today. A little passage from Havel. Hope is a commodity. It's an amazing thing. I don't think people understand its power or even give it its due, but if you've ever ran out, if life or your brain or your chemically induced body or your evil people or perpetrators or hurt or loss, if any of those things ever came and took away your hope, then you know how scary it is to be hopeless. An eighth grade boy, when I was teaching quite a quite a, some years ago, changed my life. Uh, when I asked him, I asked the whole class, I said, what does hope mean to you? I was probably, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 31, maybe 32, when I asked these 13 and 14-year-olds this question. What does hope mean to you? Or what does hope look like to you? I think I said. We went around the circle and everybody answered. And this young man, who's just recently passed the bar exam, uh, he said, Mr. C, hope is a door in my mind. And when I get scared or afraid, I know that I can open that door and there will be something new and better and different on the other side of the door. Hope is a doorway in my mind. Now, the reason why I teach is because I long to be taught. And this 13-year-old kid, once again, I've had thousands of these experiences, taught the teacher 
what, what it means to have hope. Visualizations, things that you imagine in your mind, putting words to um, images, watching yourself in your own movie, creating a movie about yourself in your mind, playing out the scenes of the future. Um, all of these things have and are and still are being done by extremely successful people. Michael Jordan would always talk about being able to see what he was going to do in a basketball game or in the future of his basketball career. Oprah Winfrey, after having the violence of molestation and, and family incest and giving birth to a baby before she was even, I don't even think she was 15, a lot of darkness fell on Oprah. It's just disgusting stuff. So she would climb the stairs at high school, and as the kids called her ugly, as the kids called her fat and stupid, she raced a little bit faster and got to the first landing before them, and she would turn around and preach down to them as if she had something to say. She said she did this to help her understand that she was important too, that it would only be a few seconds before they got to the landing, but she had, a, she had the upper hand if she was eight or ten steps ahead. She didn't hit him. She didn't throw her books at him. She didn't want to kick him down the stairs. She wanted to talk to him. She wanted to talk to the people that hurt her most. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I'm doing a Christmas podcast, even though just 12 hours ago I said that I wouldn't, it's because I know that there's a lot of people who don't have hope out there. I know there's a lot of people who are hurting. I have been a person who has been hurting. Today's a, a better day. It's a good day. So I want to always give when things are good. And I'm going to tell you a secret that I learned that I, I'm so tired of it not being uh, promoted. Um, it's, it's not out in the public. It's not mainstream or it's not even believed. It's not sought after or even recommended by professionals. And I'm getting growing tired from it. Ladies and gentlemen, when life has you by the throat, when all of your worry and depression and darkness and horrible, horrible self-inflicted uh, wounds and trauma and PTSD and hate and hurt, when they come up to this, when they rise up to the top, you can get paralyzed and overwhelmed. They could call you mentally ill in that moment because nobody understands who hasn't seen the dark side of life how to help someone who can't stop seeing it in their brain. No matter what, my powerful warriors, it is not something that you have done that has brought on that amount of pain. It is brought on by others and our reaction to them. Good, bad, indifferent, weak, strong, uh, whatever, I don't care what you call it. You can have all your names you want, but if you strip away chemicals and you're primarily sober and you've gone through this life and you're able to be alone and with yourself and you're not being busy and you're not doing stuff to distract yourself and you're not lost in your kids' lives and lost in drugs and lost in business and lost, 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 
then you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel you're going to feel things that most people can't even begin to handle feeling. And if in your past there are two, three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty traumatic and dark moments in which maybe you thought your life was going to end or you were afraid or your well-being was broken or your innocence was taken, that will resurface. And that's what will hold you down. And that's what holds everybody down. And what happens is you think you need help. And I understand that. You do need help. You think something is so bad that someone else can make it better. And the trick is, and the truth is, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Many people will go into a tizzy It'll increase. It'll go haywire on them. They'll do this so regularly that someone will decide that they have a mood disorder, depression, or bipolarity. This will be so part of their lives that some people will say they have a personality disorder, like borderline, narcissist, histrionic. I'm not one to say that that isn't true. I'm not one to say that none of that is true. But I will tell you a secret that I've learned that is foolproof, even though it's not popular. You see, immediately when you struggle in the brain and in emotion, they want you to see a therapist. That's level one. Now, a therapist sits for 50 minutes across from you and listens to you. And when you're done, with a 50-minute hour, you may feel better. Just a little bit. Perhaps you schedule for next week or twice a week or something, and you go in and you pay your copay, and the medical world gets your money. And this professional person gets paid from the insurance company. And they have their rules and regulations on how to handle you and what to do. They went to school. They went to school for helping the dark night of the soul. Hmm. And uh, not to say good or bad, but that's what they do. They don't do certain things. They probably won't put their hand on your shoulder and say, it's going to be all right, man. It's going to be all right. They probably won't get too physically close to you because that's all very unprofessional. They may not try to make you laugh when you're um, dipping because that's a little bit, you know, unprofessional. They probably won't offer you food or drink, which is a dopamine stimulator and a camaraderie experience because, well, that's not part of the deal. So you go week after week to these people who uh, it's almost illegal in a way for them to tell you what to do. They will help you because a great therapist is just a mirror. And the point I'm trying to make, folks, is therapists are great. I, I recommend you go into your therapist. But in actuality, what you really are longing for is for someone to help you and listen to you and make you feel like everything is going to be okay. But people don't have that vulnerability anymore. They want to stay broken. They want to stay in a system 
that can that allows them to get the sympathy they need. They don't always want to sit with someone who's been as broken and who just says, I get it. I've been working on my innards, <laughs> my emotions my, for a long time, on and off throughout my 20s and 30s. And everybody wanted to make me think in the, in the early days that there was something wrong with me, that I had a depression, right, or a, um, a mental health issue. And what I realized throughout my life is that I don't have a biological or chemical altering brain that just immediately becomes this other way without my control. No, I actually realized that it was brought on by my response to other people's um, violating actions against me. I never became depressed or sad or hurt or anxious unless one or a group of people seemed to have been very aggressive, dark, mean, bullies, manipulative, um, passive-aggressive, or, or scary toward me, to me. That was a very simple trigger. Now, I don't believe that the brain is somehow dysfunctional if it is somehow, I mean, if it's reacting to real threats of disparaging content. But when no one understands that enough, even the mental health world, they won't let you seek treatment for narcissistic abuse or psychopathic targeting. They want you to say there's something wrong with yourself. They want they go, no, no, no. We're not talking about the four guys that surrounded you and kicked you in the head and then uh, raped you. No, 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 Gina. No, Gina. We need to talk about you. And she's like, I wasn't screwed up until this happened to me. Okay, okay, so we're talking like, you know, PTSD. But what from your past, you know, what they, they dig in because medical science and, 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 and healing and insurance companies don't pay for outside realities. That's called the law. That's criminal. Lawyers will help you. You have to pay for to get outside help. So they want you to refer it from your point of view. The reason why you're now addicted to um, cocaine is because after they beat you down and raped you, you wanted to escape from PTSD, and you started blowing coke like crazy, and now you have a chemical addiction. They just want to call you a drug addict. No one has the courage to stop the assaults. And I'm, um, I'm here to tell you that that's a fool's game. It's a fool's game. I don't need any more life experience to show me that. So that's why I'm always offering and I'm talking to people and I'm saying, you know, the moment they say there's something wrong with them or they're unsure or their kid is unsure or something's uneasy, I know one of the secrets is, hey, why don't you come over? Why don't you come see me? Why don't you come over? Come on by. Now, you can you can get yourself ready, take a shower, go to the therapist, take out your checkbook, and do all that and be really accomplished. I went to my therapist today. But you can also stop by a friend's house. You can also come by the uh, the wise man's house who's who's trying to show you that as life goes on, you're going to figure out real soon that the answer to your problem lies inside yourself. And I, I, it was done for me. People have loved me and cared about me enough to allow me to go inside their lives 
and work out some of the darkness that was ruling mine. So that's why this Christmas, even though I said to myself, I will not, I will not be so pathetic, Greg, that I'll be alone in my place and I'm going to make a podcast on a holiday when I used to be surrounded by my family and loved ones and stuff like that. COVID is just a ridiculous, ridiculous thing. It's ridiculous to me. I'm sorry, but it is to me. So on this Christmas, I wanted to share uh, some stories. What is Christmas? What is the Christmas spirit and what does it mean? Well, it's easy for me because I was raised and taught what Christmas could be by parents who who brought Christmas celebration to a level that attracted um, state senators and uh, very powerful businessmen and very, very uppity, well-to-do folks. Christmas Eve at our house was the Feast of Seven Fishes. My father was an Italian immigrant who believed wholeheartedly in this feast. But it wasn't seven fishes. It was more like 17 fishes. My job was to clean very carefully 10 pounds of shrimp in which I had to um, peel and take off the shell. And then I had to carefully devein both the top and the bottom of each shrimp. This food preparation and the, 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 prepare, uh, the preparing to feed friends was one of the most serious things to happen in our, in our household each year. You see, my father's uh, starvation as a child is a story I say very much. He spent a very, very long part of his life starving, waking up in the morning and hitting the streets not to go to school or even to work, but to find food and bring it back to his family. He was six years old when he really remembered going out alone, trying to scavenge. His childhood was marred with poverty and violence, crime and evil, war and death, murder and savagery that scarred him our whole lives, which eventually, if you understand how trauma works, especially with someone who's not aware he's even traumatized, It just bleeds back into the next generation. All of that bloodshed was almost brought upon us in a way. So on Christmas, when he was so ready to serve and help and give and love, you jumped right up. Six o'clock in the morning, Christmas Eve day, we're preparing food. There's so much food, there's not enough refrigerators to keep it. And because we live in New England, we were lucky to have the ice-cold temperatures outside where most of the food ended up being stored for another night until the next day for Christmas. Um, My father's celebration in life was food, since he had none. When he started making money, well, he started eating. And we ate. Boy, did we eat. And Christmas was so popular that, again, almost all of my friends knew that after they were at Christmas Eve at their house, they should probably get to mine. 
Mr. C will definitely get you a lobster, probably two. And when you walk in, you're going to be treated with a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of love in our house on Christmas, the most it would have all year. And, of course, part of that love and part of the energy was the Italian culture and its beauty of music. If you weren't aware of the powerful voice of Pavarotti, well, you would learn that when you got to our house. Luciano Pavarotti. The grandkids were born, and the house was filled with children, filled. And all of them knew the power of Luciano Pavarotti. It was on Christmas that my father missed his mother. Every Christmas, my father cried. He would become antisocial after dinner and sit on the couch. And I think he thought about his mama. He couldn't save his mother. He couldn't get to her in time. She died in Italy. It was something he regretted his whole life. Greg, he said, you are to protect your mother. Don't you ever forget that. Even from me, he said. You fight. You fight and you fight, and that will make you a man. Christmas Eve in our house was a special, special day. It would be the only day I watched my father kiss my mama and hug her and watch him love us. It, was un- it wasn't uncommon that he would give me about $800 and send me to the jewelry store to buy her an emerald ring that I get to choose. I did that for years. She loved emeralds. She loved emeralds.
in the Italian culture, feeding people and eating with people, talking with people and walking with people, meeting at the piazza, having all the coffee that Starbucks has profited from by introducing it to Americans. It's just a way of life. In fact, to show you how good it is, Sardinia, Italy, just off the coast of Sicily, has the highest amount of 100-year-olds on the planet. When they asked and studied, why can this place be so full of healthy and long-living individuals, the oldest amount of people, this many people, on the planet. They did all the usual scientific stuff. They're checking air quality and water and all that. And they deemed it was lifestyle. Walking, eating, together, chatting, socializing, getting to the piazza, being around other people, enjoying the energy of other people, talking with other people, and going back home. Now, as I say that, can you see how a COVID quarantine is almost deadly, ironically? And the Italian connection is quarantine comes from the Italian word quarenta, 40. It means you take sick people and you put them away for 40 days. Quarenta, quarantino. Sick people. Here on Christmas in 2020, we might be making people sick. If I were to do it all over again, if I were to be a child again, in the, in the way that I've grown up and the, and the beauty of the world that was given to me by my parents, I would have done one thing differently. I would have befriended that girl, that broken girl whose father and parents and other people have destroyed. The girl who's, who's fallen from the tree in a way. The girl who's hiding under her bed the girl who's made to do things that I can't say here on Christmas Day. The girl that's been destroyed by a monster or many. I wish I was her friend. I wish I could have walked aside her. I wish I could have told her stories of what I was afraid of. I wish I could have brought her to my house. Seven, eight, ten years old, I don't care how old we would be. I would want to walk her into my house, especially on Christmas Eve. Because the moment she said anything, the moment I would introduce her to my mom, I don't care if we were 10 years old. The moment she smelled all the food and heard the music and saw all these people running around. The moment she met my mom and my mom would say, well, hello there, beautiful girl. Hi, Mrs. Colossal, she'd say. Well, what do you like for Christmas? 
oh, oh, it's okay. You don't have to give me anything. I don't even know you, she'd say. Well, why don't you tell me something about yourself? What do you like to do? Oh, I, I like shopping, but I don't always have money. What do you what do you like to get? Well, kind of like a scarf, really. I'd love a scarf. Really? To stay warm? Yeah, but I also think they're beautiful. Oh, that's very nice. You like purses? Oh, I, I'd love a purse. I've never had one. I'm, I'm only 10. Well, that's nice to know. What's your name? You seem so cute and pretty. And, and, and what are you doing with my bozo son? <laughs> Ma, I'm not a bozo. Oh, my name's Allie. Mrs. Colosau. Well, you are beautiful, Allie. Look at those big brown eyes. Why don't you hang out? Greg, get her some food. Merry Christmas, Allie. Oh, Merry Christmas, Mrs. Colosau. And you know what happened, folks? Because I would bring her into another room, maybe into the kitchen. My mom would disappear. That's what she did on Christmas. And then she'd be meeting my brothers and my father and all the girlfriends and all the wives. And she'd be brought in and people would talk to her and she may not have ever seen the amount of food that she's about to see. You want a lobster? My dad would say. Um, uh, uh, what? You, uh, you want a lobster? Allie, he wants to know if you want a lobster. A, a lobster? Oh my God, those are so expensive. No, no, Allie, not here. We, he has lobsters. He'll give you one. He'll give you two if you want two. Um, I, I would. I'll. I'll I, I don't even know how to open them. He'll. He'll crack the whole thing for you. You don't have to do anything. If you like to eat it, you just got to eat it. He'll give you butter and lemon, and about ten other things. Um. I'll, okay, uh, Mr. Kyle, so I'll, I'll have a lobster. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Give me a minute. And there it'll be. The two of us would sit down. We're 10 years old, and I'd watch Allie eat this lobster that she's never been allowed to eat. And the phone would ring. Hello? Uh, yeah, uh, this is Jake. Is my daughter over there, Allie? Yeah, she's around over here. She's eating. Yeah, there's no problem here. You got, you need to go home. Uh, I just want to make sure. Who who, who am I talking to? Uh, my name is Dominic. Uh, I'm Dominic Colosale. I'm a Greg's father. It's, uh, your daughter's so fine here. She's a welcome. I'm a feeder now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to come get her. Uh, she's got to come home. Okay, uh, you sound a little you a little upset. You got something wrong. You got you got something wrong. That's none of your business. I'm just gonna come get my daughter. Well, I'll tell you what. I think you better come a little late, huh? Your daughters are fine, and I don't think you're too fine. I think you've been drink. So why don't you wait an hour? Wait a two hour, 
And then you come and get her. She's a fine, she's a safe, but you don't come over here because you come over this house in this attitude. You're not going to leave here. You understand? What, what did you just say? You heard me. Your daughter's safe. She's going to be home a little while. You don't call here again. Hey, Dad, who was that? Nah, no worry. You like the food? Yes, Mr. Carlos. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, my dad's a little crazy. Sorry. It's okay. I'm I'm scared of my dad. That's why he was calling. Yeah, you don't have to be scared of your dad here. He he won't come here, and if he does, he won't leave here. Oh. Oh, I don't like that. I, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just. You're safe here, Allie. Okay, you're safe. Do you like the lobster? Yeah, it's it's good. Cool. Allie. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> guess what, Allie? My mom has a gift for you. Huh? But I don't even know you. Oh, here, Allie. I want you to. I want you to open this. And then Allie would open that. She'd open a gift that she didn't know she was getting. When she disappeared, when my mom disappeared, you don't know it, but she's got thousands of dollars of extra gifts to go at all times. And if you don't think she's going to find anything that you love, you're, you're going to learn that that's not how it works here. So Allie opens up the gift, and it's a beautiful purse. She's never had a purse. But my mom would give her a purse. And then she'd be glowing and un out of control. And then my mom would say, oh, Allie, check inside the purse. And out would come this beautiful gray scarf with the knotted endings and the, the perfect scarf. And Allie would put it around herself and carry her purse around for the rest of the night with her knobby knees and her her dirty clothes. You see, my mother and father suffered in such poverty that when they made money, they celebrated and treated everyone and anyone to a world that they knew they couldn't have had either. I've seen this my whole entire life. My whole entire life. Allie isn't real, but she really is real. I met her in real life. And uh, I think I'm lucky to have learned the lessons that she's taught me. You know, it's Christmas, folks. It doesn't mean you have to be a Christian or, or even believe in God to have a repetitive yearly feeling of wanting to love, help, and give. Allie, this imaginary girl, was just my mother when she was a girl. Her father, who wanted to hurt her, 
was just another man that my father would stop from hurting innocent people. Whatever you think Christmas is, I see it as hope. And hope is something that I believe is the best gift you can give because hopelessness enters the lives of everyone at some point. And without a friend and without a neighbor and without a kind word, and if you are in isolation or you are in quarantine or you are alone, then you must draw hope from yourself. And it's one of the hardest things to do. So I'll remind you that hope is like a door in your mind. And if you are Allie, if you were Allie, I just want you to know that there are people that love you. There are people that want to give you and take away your pain. Because some of us were taught to do that by people who were filled with pain. It's Christmas 2020, everyone. I hope you find the love in your family and friends today and tomorrow. I hope you can put your head down tonight because you did something good. Merry Christmas.